actors, this is your final places call. Places. Half to half. Go. Orchestra, stand by. Go. Hey guys, this is Gabrielle Ruiz. Rick Negron. Anne Harada. Karen Mason. Constantine Morales. JLA Marcos. And you're listening to Bite Size. Bite Size. Bite Size Broadway. Brought to you by Indie Works Theatre Company. Bite Size Broadway. Hi there, my name is Jonathan Lynch, and you're listening to Bite Size Broadway, a mini musical podcast brought to you by IndieWorks Theatre Company and Judith Manicharian. This is your source for discovering original short form musicals that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Today's mini musical episode is The Trial of Bastiano di Bologna, with book, music, and lyrics by Aaron Jensen. Stick around after the musical presentation for a talk back with Aaron. And now, we take you back to the 8th century AD, to the hollowed and reverent halls of the Vatican Judiciary, where an extremely, uh, unusual trial is about to take place. Vatican is called to session. Attendant Bastiano di Bologna, you stand accused on several counts. Uno, mischief. Due, attempted robbery. Trey, conspiracy against the Vatican. Quattro, breaking and entering into his holiness bedchambers. Cinque. Attempted murder of his holiness. Silencio! Bastiano of Bologna, how do you plead? Oh, inimitable eminences, I plead on bended knee. I've been an attentive attendant to his holiness for two and twenty years. My record is unblemished as the brow of a blameless babe. See, Bastiano! Which makes these allegations especially disturbing. <laughs> Answer the question. How do you plead? Well, I admit that last night I entered, uninvited, into the holy quarters. <laughs> but I wasn't there to commit mischief, or theft, or conspiracy, or, heaven help me, to murder his holiness. Then explain this grievous invasion. I was compelled to enter the blessed chambers because I needed to learn the truth. (gasps) (gasps) What do you mean? Oh, your honors. I have witnessed something so awful, so addling, so utterly alarming. I had no choice. 
but to breach the blessed bedchambers. What could possibly have provoked this impure act? I saw. I can't say it. Oh, come on! May we remind you of the severe charges laid against you? Your honors. It doesn't even make sense to me. Guards. Wait! Wait! Where to start? Heaven help me. Well, it's not widely known, but His Holiness prefers to work in the bathtub. What? He says that bubbles make his troubles drift away. Bastiano! And Epsom salts, he says, can help his holiness unwind. It settles the body and mind. It's simple math. A single day without a dip, you'll taste his wrath. He loves to bath. I fail to see how this undignified account relates yes, to this. His holiness prefers to work in the bathtub with scented lavender to have under the suds. And in all the Lord's domain, you'll never find a sight so grand. The holy mitre on his head And the sacred loofah in his hand <laughs> He goes for broke The bathroom floods With every dip it's not a joke He loves to soak Heresy! Brasserie! Order! Order! The defendant will refrain from further theatrical eruptions. Continue your testimony, or you shall be removed. Yes, Your Grace. <clears throat> Yesterday was a day like any other. As His Holiness's faithful attendant, I stood by his side going through the work orders of the day. When suddenly, from the corner of my eye, I witnessed something shocking. Shocking! Something unholy Unholy oh, Something unimaginable Please, tell us But no, I can't It's too painful to conjure the memory Bastiano, you must Oh, oh, oh Please, I beg you to throw in the deepest, darkest oubliette, and like the name implies, forget you know me. May my demons be dispelled. I swear this feeble heart won't bear the memory of the horrors I've beheld. Bastiano, we order you to continue your testimony. Well... There I was with a handful of edicts to sign. His Holiness had worked through half of them. When suddenly... His Excellency dropped his papal bath brush. His papal bath brush. Yeah. And as he bent to fetch his blessed papal bath brush. His blessed papal bath brush. I witness to my dread. His Holiness's mitre nearly toppled off his head. <laughs> and for the briefest instant, for the first time in my life, I saw... Yes? A crescent of his holiness's head exposed. 
And... And there was something there on his holiness's noble scalp. Damn me, Forza! Give me strength! A doctor's part of self-control! Bastiano di Bologna, you're making a mountain out of a mole! No. Speak for knowledge, I object! This exchange is most impious! Is it relevant if the Santo Pontifice has psoriasis? It's not that. I tell you, there was something poking out. Oh, the image of it lingers. It resembled... Yes? A tiny arm. Arm? A human arm! Complete with elbow, hand, and tiny little fingers. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I know. It's unthinkable. Never in my most ungodly nightmares have I witnessed a vision so profane. To my alarm, I saw a tiny human arm. I nearly dropped the ledgers into the bath water, but there it was, clear as day. And as I stared, the dreadful little hand pulled the brim of the mitre back into place and disappeared underneath. His holiness carried on as if nothing at all had happened. <laughs> you expect us to believe this fantasy? Of course not! It's unthinkable! Had I become overcome by the heat? Eaten too little for breakfast? Or, bless me, had the vision been sent to me by the sulfurous one himself? My mind was in turmoil. I kept staring at the mitre, waiting to see something, anything out of the ordinary. When finally, his holiness dismissed me. I sprinted home and locked the door and prayed to God for guidance, for understanding. But no answer came. Later that night, I tossed and I tossed in bed. Oh, oh, oh. The unease that it brings to me I pray that I'm mistaken But the vision of this ghastly hand clings to me Tight as fingers intertwined Like Jacob and the angels How I've wrestled with the demons in my mind What's he hiding under there? Did he sprout a single arm on top, or two, or four, or five, or nine? Neath his sanctified chapeau, is there a row of limbs that rival any chorus line? What's he hiding under there? Are there a thousand arms swaying to and fro? Could the head of God's enemy resemble an anemone? Is he bristled like a papal porcupine? I simply need to know. In that moment, it all became clear. I had no choice but to enter His Holiness's bedchamber to learn what dark secret he was concealing. I understood that if I was caught, I would languor in prison for the remainder of my days. Or worse, yet I knew 
I couldn't go on living having seen what I'd seen. And so I set out into the night. I climbed the olive tree outside his window and I stepped into the papal bedchamber. There he was, asleep, in his holy four-poster bed. But what's that? <gasps> A thousand curses! It seems his holiness sleeps with the mitre on his head. I would need to remove the crown in order to see underneath. Thankfully, his holiness was snoring like Gabriel's trumpet. I crept up alongside his bed and ever so gingerly lifted it, it off his head. And underneath, I saw. Yes? You won't like it. Bastiano, I order you to proceed. Underneath the hat, I found... A little man. In every way a man, but no larger than a sparrow. No! Yes, but there's more. Disregarding his size, this little man was a perfect copy of his holiness, right down to the cassock and ferula. And he looked at me, and he blinked his sleepy, little, puffy papal eyes and squeaked. It looks dark out. Can it be morning? And I screamed. Ah! And then it screamed. Ah! And his holiness screamed. Ah! And down came the mitre. In came the guards. And tribunali, all the rest you know. Ostiano di Bologna, this is a most profane and incredible tale. You could be beheaded for uttering these words. However, we have conferred, and in light of your faultless record, we have chosen to look on you with favor. You shall be sentenced to only ten years in prison. No! I beg you, I don't seek your leniency. If I'm mad, if this vision was false, it would be the easiest thing in the world to disprove. Lift the holy mitre and see for yourself! You would ask his holiness to uncover his head for someone as insignificant as yourself? <laughs> Such... Please, I'll gladly put my life on the line. If I'm mistaken, I'll give up my head. I'll offer you my land, my livestock, my possessions to the court. Humble though they be. You would give up your life for this tissue of lies. When salvation's been extended, you would stake your very being on the facts to be revealed. I will. Bastiano of Bologna, your fate is sealed. Summon his holiness. All right.
rise for his holiness. Your Holiness, forgive me. We have an impious request. If you would permit me. Let it be recorded the Supreme Pontiff of the Universe of Church has agreed to remove his noble crown. That was The Trial of Bastiano di Bologna, book, music, and lyrics by Aaron Jensen, starring Max Crum as Bastiano di Bologna, with Andrew Fox, Kenny M. Green, Ryan Knowles, Michael Mackesy, Christopher Michaels, and Jay Perinata as the Tribunale, and Michael Perry Jr. as the Cancellieri. The Trial of Bastiano di Bologna was recorded remotely from New York City, with direction by Christopher Michaels, music direction by Jonathan Lynch, orchestrations and sound design by Andrew Fox, and mixing and mastering by Jay Rosen. Additional audio editing by Aaron Jensen and Evan Johnson. Recorders by Rob Jacoby, French horn by Dakota Korblis, sackbutt by Paul Van Hoff, bass viol by Anna Steinhoff, and organ and percussion by Andrew Fox. We'll be right back after this brief intermission to talk with Aaron about the origins of this strange subject, Mariah Carey, and composing and music directing for the Emmy award-winning TV show, Schitt's Creek. All that and more right after this. Give the gift of new music this holiday season with Maria Weary's debut album, Just Keep Singing. Featuring Matt Sangiovanni on guitar with eight brand new songs written and recorded during the 2020 quarantine. Listen today on Spotify or visit www.mariawearies.com. Hey there. Enjoying the show so far? Want even more out of your bite-sized Broadway experience? Get full-color digital playbills, early singles and episodes, and exclusive backstage access to other exciting rewards and extras by becoming a Patreon subscriber. For as little as $3 a month, you can unlock perks you just won't find anywhere else. We're giving you a peek behind the curtain to see just what goes into making a mini-musical podcast, plus a chance to speak directly to the artists in monthly AMAs. Oh, looks like Act 2 is about to start. Visit patreon.com slash bitesizebroadway to find out how you can become a subscriber today. Sorry. Enjoy the rest of the show. Get settled in your seats and put away those programs as we chat with Aaron Jensen about the trial of Bastiano di Bologna. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, thank you for coming. First of all, let's talk about the ending of your show. Um, it's just a knockout ending. I love it so much. Can you describe to me uh, in your own terms like what this all means? What it means? Okay, well, that's a, that's a good question. I feel like the the big question is where does... Where does the idea come from yes. Where, to explore such a, a strange <laughs> subject matter? I think it was 
Stephen Schwartz, maybe, who said that every uh, musical theater writer out there has a Pope with many Pope in hat story in them that they just need to get out of their system. And oh so man, that's just great. Like, I'm yeah. just trying to check. <laughs> no, uh, I was part of a, a musical theater creative lab, a mm-hmm. musical stage company, did an incredible creative lab called Noteworthy. Mm-hmm. And we were given a series of assignments. And my assignment was to do an adaptation of a newspaper headline. And the other pieces that I've been working on as part of this creative lab were pretty heavy. There was one about a, sort of a falling apart of a dysfunctional family and another one that tied to sort of is he- heavy on the race side of things. And so I wanted to do something that was a little bit lighter. And so I found uh, a cover story from the Weekly World News mm-hmm. that read second pope discovered under pope hat with this delightful <laughs> picture of this tiny little pope on top of the pope's head and that seemed fluffy and silly enough and so i i tackled that and the probably the biggest challenge of you're talking about the ending was you know it, it seems like a, that that's like a the subject matter for like a 10 second bit Mm-hmm. Like a, you know, like a little family guy aside or something like that. So to try to spin that into a full length drama was, I think, the biggest challenge. Um, have you ever seen Rosemary's Baby? I haven't, but I feel like I have because I sort you of, know, like, you know, like the basic yeah, gist yeah. of that. So like, strangely enough, I feel like I cribbed the dramatic arc from that movie which is essentially (laughs) the audience who's watching this never knows whether or not rosemary is crazy Mm -hmm. or or like whether she has reason to mistrust her doctor and her neighbors and her husband or whether she's actually pregnant with the spawn of satan and so in this story it was like trying to explore how long the tension could be ratcheted up with this ridiculous fantastical story and um at what point it was going to be revealed whether or not he was telling the truth Mm -hmm. and choosing to end it just before, you know, one way or the other, I feel is the only way out because there's no way of staging this. There's no way to actually, it's a lot more interesting to leave it as a question. I think. Can you talk a bit more about the lab you developed it under and the theater company you developed it with? So musical stage company is an incredible company based out of Toronto. They are really the premier company in in Canada for uh, producing new musical works by Canadian composers and and developing beyond just the workshopping stages, but trying to really bring life to these works afterwards. So I was really lucky to take part in this creative lab last year, met a ton of incredible creative folks as part of it and still stay in touch. And I'm still working with, with many of these people now. That's excellent. And these three shows that you were writing, were you writing them all at the same time? Or is there a a period of time in between them? Like how did that work? Were you writing all of them by yourself? No, if I'm not mistaken, it was spread over six weeks and each two week chunk focused on music, lyric and book. And there were different clinicians who came in and worked with us. And within each of those, we were given uh, a different partner to work with and a different uh, a different focus, a different assignment essentially for each. That's really cool. I like that structure. There's um, nothing quite like that in New York City from what I'm aware of. Good for them. That's great. 
So you have a huge catalog of this amazing vocal arrangement work and like composition and stuff like that. I've listened to a few of them and I'm just sort of blown away by the the structure of it and the way that you're harmonizing everything. It's just fantastic stuff. And I could really kind of hear some of that coming through in the work just from the really good vocal writing that you did in this piece. As far as I can tell, however, you don't have a huge back catalog of, say, medieval Catholic church music. (laughs) Can you tell me about how you came into this style and sort of like your process about approaching this? I studied composition in university, so I'm definitely steeped in the <laughs> music history and the different styles over over era. But you're right, this is a little bit of a different sound, a different aesthetic for me. But you know what? Like it's at the same time, it's not like it's always the same palette that you're drawing from. Mm-hmm. I mean, in university, I sang in a, a Renaissance octet. Wow, and cool. One of my, you know, like it's. I feel like. Every experience that you have in life prepares you for some strange little opportunity down the line. So that acapella octet from college came back in some form or other into this show. Well, I guess it depends what era you hear this in. But yeah, absolutely. So the harmonies, <laughs> although I mean, there's no question that some of the sounds and aesthetics that you've just heard in Bastiano skew a little bit more contemporary while sort of nodding back as well. So you're talking about studying composition back in college. How did you get into composing in the first place? I was somebody, I moved to Toronto from a very small community in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. And this was a a community that that was was unique in that for such a small, small city, there was a a huge arts community. So I think that that particular, the the year that I moved to Toronto from Prince Albert, Prince Albert was the, uh, the obesity stabbing and arts capital of Canada per capita. So where those Venn diagrams line up, you can sort of (laughs) decide for yourself. But I mean, I grew up, I put myself through university by performing in musicals in my hometown. So Mm -hmm. I fly home from Toronto every summer and put on Music Man or Forever Plaid or whatever. And then that would fuel me to go on. And it was always my intention that I would leave university, having studied composition and go straight into composing for musical theater. Hmm. And in fact, I convinced my composition professor in my fourth year to allow me to turn all of my projects that he assigned, kind of ignore all of them and instead work on this musical. And, (laughs) and I did a thing that I look back on and it just, uh, the, I guess the hubris of youth, <laughs> the fact <laughs> sure. that when I, when I was in my last year of university, I took this, these three songs that I'd composed as part of my composition portfolio, and I pitched them to a company out east, or out west, I should say, back home in Saskatchewan, as a finished product. I was like, let me show you a sampling of this new musical that I've worked on, which was about the, the writing of the Oxford English Dictionary, and cool. got funders behind me. We put it on uh, with like a cast of 50 and a full band. But at the time that I pitched it, I only had three songs out of a full show. (laughs) And they thought that everything was already in the bag. And then I took the rest of from Christmas until May to compose the rest of it and orchestrate it. And it was just, it was fast. It was too fast. It was a wild ride. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, but then I, so I studied composition with the thought of working within musical theater right away and, Different opportunities came up. I've spent a lot of these last 10 10 plus years, 12 years Mm -hmm. touring and producing and doing various works uh, with, yeah, composition work and uh, some work within film and television. And it's only really, it feels like within the last three or four years that I've really 
jumped right back into to the passion that I'd always intended to pursue with all of my all of my energy and it's been a real <laughs> it's been a real pleasure to do so. So then composing for the most part had been your primary focus, but here you are writing uh, being a wonderful wordsmith. The show that you wrote in college, did you also write the words on that one too? I collaborated with a, a Toronto creator Kaylee Staples, um, but definitely was writing writing lyric and and book for that as well. So then it wasn't just a particular thing about the lab that you were developing this under where like, oh, I'm a composer, but I guess I'll try words. It was sort of like the the wordiness has sort of been a thread throughout this as well then too. Yeah, well, that was actually an interesting one. So with with the my collaborator for the Bastiano piece was Nam Win, mm-hmm. uh, but we, we both... He, I was actually writing this piece in Mexico on tour while he was back back home. We our day, our times just weren't working out. It was very difficult for us to stay in contact with each other, and so we both decided that for this particular project, we're both going to just dive in, do something independently, then come back together and see how they could be merged. And he took this really delightful left turn. So I focused entirely on this character who is. Uh, being tried for blasphemy amongst other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went this whole other direction of like the mini Pope is the star of his show. <laughs> so it's all about like, and, and I asked him like, how are we, how is this going to be staged? Like this tiny little homunculus resting on the, the Holy head. And, you know, and he just went down this flight of fancy and it was delightful. So we presented both, but that was actually something that was really excellent about mm-hmm. this creative lab is that, it really seemed to be as much or more about the process than about the finished works. And so rather than taking fewer chances and show, and really sort of leaning back on your skill sets and knowing, well, if, if it's a short period of time, I, I'm confident that I can turn this around. People d- did take a lot of chances and we put, and we presented some things that in some cases were a little bit half-baked and <laughs> in other cases were fully realized and it was just a really exciting exciting space to be in. What show were you on tour with when you were writing this one? I was touring with one of the musical groups, one of the Toronto musical groups. I'm part of a, a 14 voice group called Countermeasure, who just had our 10 year anniversary. We've done Congratulations. a lot of Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, I can't remember if that was a countermeasure trip or one of the other ensembles that I'm a part of. I think it was a countermeasure trip. Speaking of countermeasure, though, you have a an upcoming album for them, don't you? Yeah, we just released released during COVID. We released an album that we'd been working <laughs> on that was a, a really exciting process. I love collaboration. I can't stress the extent to which that is what feeds me, is mm-hmm. having the opportunity to learn from other people, to learn from their experiences, to be able to add to my bag of tricks by just picking up by working with other people but this this project was a, a concept album of sorts so countermeasure mm-hmm. is a vocal group but mm-hmm. this album is a set of 10 songs all originals that i've written for countermeasure plus a guest solo instrumentalist so we were exploring the spaces like that present themselves by putting voices plus single instruments and we cool. were so lucky to work with heavyweight we worked with randy brecker we worked with cindy mm-hmm. cash dollar we worked with evelyn glennie there's so so many grammy and juno award winners who came on board who were just an absolute dream to to play with and to learn from and uh i we just found out last week that the group has just received funding for a next album so we'll have 10 new tracks that we will be uh, starting to record as soon as studios are are open again. (laughs) Fantastic. Congratulations on all that. Thank you.
Now, to many of our listeners, you're probably best known for being the music director, composer, and band leader for the last four seasons of Schitt's Creek. How did you get involved in the show? Uh, it was a circuitous path. <laughs> I'm also the uh, artist in a residence randomly of a synagogue in Toronto, mm-hmm. and I sing with a group there. There's no instruments allowed, so I do all the vocal arrangements for them. One of the former singers within this group had an entirely different career in film and television. And she told me that there's this thread in Shit's Creek, which at that time was a completely unheard of show. Mm-hmm. And there's a singing group on the show. And would you be interested in writing a chart for them? And that just sort of blossomed. And over the years, I did all of the orchestrations for the all the episodes involving cabaret. I sourced the players. We did all the recordings for that. Uh, one of the pieces that I wrote ended up being sung by the singers in that nice, show. Nice. We did the Mariah Carey special this past summer, which was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I saw an interview with the cast members about the cabaret episode, and they were talking about how it really felt like they were doing this live theater show of it, like this sort of like staged production of it because there was a rehearsal period and then like it was done like in a theater and everything. Is that your experience with it too, that it really sort of felt like, oh yeah, like we're we're doing a live show here. It's the process of it. It's a sort of work up to it. I think yes and no. I think that definitely Mm -hmm. in terms of the high stakes of it, like when we were in the space, like when you hear the song, maybe this time, Mm -hmm. it was captured in the space and whatever she put out into the world was that Emily, that that performance was going to be captured. And so we knew that we (laughs) needed to to nail it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was also part of the smoke and mirrors side of it. We didn't, we wanted to make sure that we had clean vocal takes on the stage. So all of the band had pre-recorded it and they were listening or, and the singers had little earwigs in place so they could hear the part. And we're just busy miming away at our piano on there. So for the performers, for the singers, it definitely was singing in a space to a room and what you get is what you get when people are out of breath because they're dancing, they're out of breath because yeah, they're dancing yeah. and all of that. And, so yeah. uh, the Obama's class of 2020 with Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. um, how did that all come together? It was phenomenal and I thought that I thought that your arranging on it was wonderful like all of those harmonies and the way that it was all coming together talk about this process and putting it together in the middle of the pandemic so it was very last minute uh, <laughs> Dan, Dan Levy gave me a call I think a week before their drop dead deadline saying oh my gosh like, we've got to this opportunity has come down the pipe we have the opportunity to sing with Mariah. We're all really excited about this, but the information was a little bit disjointed. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of excitement right from the get-go. But I was kind of the liaison between the producers of, of the piece plus everybody in the Schitt's Creek side and then everybody on the Mariah Carey side. So I was trying to balance all of these different uh, <laughs> pushes and pulls with a very short period of time. And the... Wow. Uh, the, the the high, oh, I don't know if you'd call it the highlight, but certainly the the, the climax of the story was uh, two days after the drop dead deadline where they said, we must have everything in place by this. I was still waiting to get some recording, uh, to get the recording <laughs> from Mariah Carey. And so it's like, how heavy can you be of like, dear Mariah Carey, please, right. <laughs> whatever. And I was just freaking out. Like if she doesn't end up turning something around, like what are we going to do? The song was written based on her. Um, so as they're cutting together, I'm sure this was the last thing that got put into place. And I finally get the video and the audio from Mariah Carey's people and bless her heart. She had Mm -hmm. set up a fan right next to the camera 
So it was like blowing her hair like a goddess as she was saying. I saw that. That was but perfect. But it also <laughs> meant that there was this like, oh no, fan right next to the <laughs> mic. So I had to call up a very good friend, longtime collaborator of mine to say like, you've got lots of really good denoising software, right? Like I need to send you an audio file of Mariah Carey singing and I need it back within the next 20 minutes or else everything's going to fall apart. And, and he's a very mellow, mellow dude, Kai Koshmeter. And so he just sort of like, oh yes, well, I can take care of that. So nice. it's the kind of call that you, you hope to get, I guess. So yes, just yes. as the story, I suppose. Well, that about wraps it up. I want to thank you again for coming in to speak with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I don't know if everybody had this opportunity, but being able to zoom in and watch the actors and sort of sit in the sidelines watching this come together was a real treat. And I I, I hope that I have the chance to, to work with many of these fine folks down the line. And we hope that we'll have a chance to be working with your material again soon, too. Thank you very much. Thank you. For more information on Aaron Jensen and his multitude of projects, visit his website at www.aaronjensen.ca. As always, there was way more to our chat with Aaron that we just didn't have time to air. But you can take a listen to the extended conversation when you become a Patreon subscriber. Visit www.patreon.com slash bitesizebroadway and become a member today for exclusive behind-the-scenes content and plenty of other exciting perks. Don't go away. More Bite Size Broadway right after this. Hey, creative professionals and business owners, looking to up your content game? Need a little boost to help complete your latest creative project? Have a great idea, but no idea how to make it happen? Let Evan Feist Coaching and Consulting and his over 15 years of experience in media and extensive network work for you. Head to www.evanfeist.com today for a free consultation. Next time on Bite Size Broadway. On a sweltering summer morning on a crowded subway platform, three strangers wait for a train that will seemingly never come. Forced to wait with each other in this underground sweat locker, subway frustrations turn to sexual frustrations, leading these three strangers to form a delusional little love triangle for which none of them are prepared. Whether you hate to love or love to hate the Metropolitan Transit Authority, you won't want to miss Gabrielle Ruiz, Brendan J. Ellis, T.J. Newton, and Yvette Monique Clark in MTA The Musical, opening March 1st only on Bite Size Broadway. And that's it for this episode of Bite Size Broadway. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcasting platform, well, what are you waiting for? Subscribe today and never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a brief review. A huge thank you goes out to our upper-level Patreon subscribers, Dakota Cahill and Judith Manicharian. If you'd like to support us on Patreon and get exclusive access to exciting perks, head to www.patreon.com bitesizebroadway or click the link in the episode description. Until next time, friends, I'm Jonathan Lynch, and this is Bite Sized Broadway. Bite Sized Broadway is an Indie Works Theater production. Created by Jonathan Lynch. Executive producers Christopher Michaels and Jeremy Terry. Produced by Jonathan Lynch and Andrew Fox. Bite Size Broadway's theme and finale were composed and performed by Michael Parikh Jr. For more information on this and other IndieWorks programming, please visit www.indieworkstheater.com. Like and follow us on social media at IndieWorks Co. Stand by main curtain.